So let's dive in, though, today. We are in part five of our series. It's complicated. And, uh, you know, I want to talk today kind of a different angle. We've, we've spoken about how to have healthy friendships in this series. Uh, we've spoken about how to have, uh, do singleness and dating well in this series. Uh, last week, we spoke about how to have a healthy marriage. And today, the angle that I want to look at biblically um, is, is this, is that relationships can be our greatest source of joy in life. They can also be the greatest source of pain in life. Have you ever noticed the highest highs of your life usually involve another person, but also so do the lowest lows typically involve another person? So, so what I want to look at today is how do we respond when someone hurts us? How do we respond when someone offends us? How do we deal with those moments? Because they are real uh, in our lives. It's important that we approach those and look to what God's word has to say about that. I've entitled, the, the title of today's message really comes from a, a quote by a theologian, uh, Lewis Smedes. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. I've entitled today's message, Prison Break. Because my hope today is we can break free from the prison of unforgiveness. Let's be clear, unforgiveness is a prison. I once heard it said, unforgiveness is like lighting yourself on fire in hopes the other person burns. It only hurts us. It only keeps us in prison. In fact, intriguing, the University of Pennsylvania in 2017, they did a, a comprehensive study, and they actually found that unforgiveness is associated with increased anxiety, depression, elevated blood pressure, decreased immune response, and worse outcomes in coronary artery disease. That it literally is bad for your mental health and physical health to harbor a grudge or offense or unforgiveness. So my hope today is we can be walk in freedom in this area of forgiveness. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We pray that you would speak to us today. We posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you today, to receive your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read an exchange in Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, if not, they will be up on the screens. Uh, we're going to read an exchange between Peter and Jesus. And it says this in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, let me give context. It was commonly taught by rabbis at that time that you were to forgive someone up to three times. After three times, you wronged me a fourth time. I am no longer obliged to forgive you. So Peter's like, I'm about to impress Jesus. Jesus, well, about seven times, you know, probably like nudging his other boys. Like, I, well, come on, you know, seven times. Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. Jesus saying that, and if you've been around church or you, you're a Christian, been following Christ for a while, hearing that sometimes you can think maybe you've heard that statement a lot. And let me just also give a challenge to those who've been following Christ for a while or you've been in church for a while. is challenge yourself to read scripture with fresh eyes and look at the context. Because if you've, you, some of you have heard this scripture many times, but if you were in that moment at that time and you were to hear Jesus say 70 times seven, you would have heard, say what? Like 70 times seven, you are crazy because it was common in that culture to hold a grudge against someone. And let me say this, I think as it is in this culture, 
Maybe you've heard this said before. I've heard these statements before. Like someone did something, and they'll say, that is unforgivable, right? Now, I'm not trying to, trying to lessen the severity of someone's offense because some of you have, have faced horrible offenses, whether it be incredible breaches of trust, abuse. I'm not minimizing the impact of that at all. But what I'm trying to set, set as a precedent is, is Jesus, the important that Christ places upon forgiveness in our lives. And he does here with Peter. And then I love because Jesus breaks out into a parable. You want to know one of the things I love about Jesus? He didn't just like teach a lesson kind of factually. He's like, let me tell you a story. Anybody else who loves stories? Come on. Like he's like, let me tell you a story. I'm like, that's my God, you know? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement, and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold brought it to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. See the contrast? He had 10,000 bags of gold and 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant, and you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father would treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister in your heart. So Jesus here sets his new standard. He tells this parable to even show the contrast between what, God, what, he, what God's forgiven us of comparative to what we forgive others of. So I want to share with you uh, three points from this passage from the words of Jesus on how we can get free from the prison of unforgiveness. Here's the first one. This is foundational. This is, this is an important point that we grasp hold of is we have to receive and remember God's forgiveness. Because he says to the servant, you wicked servant, I canceled all of your debts, referring to the fact that he had canceled the debt of 10,000 bags of gold. It reminds me of 1 John 1, 8, where John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. A couple of things John's setting a framework here. It's even theologically. Number one is that we all have sin. And let me be clear. Um, sin is when we disobey the word of God and we all have it. We all have sin in our life because we're human. And he, he says, we have to acknowledge that we all have sin. Then he says, confess your sins, plural. Now, let me take a minute to give you a theological kind of mini lesson here. Because what John's referring to in this passage when he speaks about forgiveness is something called relational forgiveness. Now, many of us are often familiar with judicial forgiveness. Here's what judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is what happens when you come to faith in Christ and he forgives you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. Meaning, because of what Christ did on the cross, the atoning sacrifice, because of his shed blood and his broken body and his death, burial, and resurrection, because of that, we, this, the moment we come to faith in Christ, we will never have to pay a penalty for any single sin. And that's good news. Now, you all should have just like went crazy, threw your chair in the air out of excitement because that's amazing because it is. 
that you will never have to pay for any of your sin because of what Christ did on the cross. Now, again, if you were in that cultural context and you were used to actually sacrificing animals for your sin, you would have been like, thank you, Jesus, I'm tired of blood. Come on. <laughs> like, it would have been, it would have been groundbreaking, but, but it's to us, we, we can become so accustomed to the power of what Christ has done for us. But John says that's judicial forgiveness, and we have that. But, but there's also relational forgiveness. And let me give you in the context of a relationship you may have here on earth. If you were to break trust with your spouse, do you think it would affect the relationship? If you were to talk behind your friend's back and, and say something about them that was mean, would it affect the relationship, right? That's called, that's an offense, and it breaks the relational chemistry. John is saying confess your sins, plural. He's not referring to salvation. He's referring in the life of a believer, you need to have a regular confession to God of your sin in order to strengthen your fellowship with God. That you need to be aware of your sin. See, the enemy will use sin to actually create distance between you and God. Nothing can take your forgiveness of the penalty, but something can affect your relationship. See, if you are living with unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin in your life, it will affect your relationship with God. In the same way, if you broke the trust of your spouse and you were not repentant, it would break the relationship. It would put tension minimally on the relationship between you and your spouse. So John is saying in the life of a believer, you need to have a regular confession of your sin. Now, let me say this. I think in the same way you should read scriptures and pray each day, not religious, but to connect with God. You should confess your sin. And here's, because you're human, you have sin in your life. You've had pride, you have moments of pride, envy, jealousy, lust, greed, taking root. You've misspoke a word. You did something you shouldn't did. You thought something you shouldn't have thought. We've all have that. And here's what happens. When you regularly confess your sin to God, then you regularly receive the forgiveness of Christ. And oftentimes, let me just say this, and I want you to hear this. Oftentimes, the reason we may have a hard time forgiving someone else for how they wronged us at work, because we are not regularly receiving the forgiveness of Christ in our daily life. And we cannot give something we have not received. So, so if you're not aware, if you're not daily, regularly receiving the forgiveness of God every day, saying, wow, man, and you become aware of how much you sin against God, how much you offend God and disobey his word, then you become aware of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So when that person misspeaks about you or when that person does something hurtful to you, you say, man, God has forgiven me of so much, so I merely give what I've already received. That's why Jesus makes this contrast. I've forgiven you 10,000 bags of gold and you won't forgive them of 100 silver coins. That's why it's so important to have a regular practice of confessing our sins before God so we're aware of how much he's forgiven us of. John goes on to say, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin for only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Let me say this. Uh, there's, there's, some, there's some that at times in some cultures, even in, even in church, I, I think it's important that we recognize sin is sin in this. Sin is when we are disobedient to God's word. When we are, we are not following his will that we know to follow. And sometimes we can minimize it by calling it a struggle. 
And here's why I think we need to recognize it as a sin. Now, some of you will think this sounds harsh, but it's actually to free you up. Because by recognizing it's sin and not a struggle, it's saying, because it's sin, I need a Savior. Therefore, it's not contingent upon me. Therefore, I confess my sin, say I'm in need of a Savior who forgives me of all my sin. I think it's important that we recognize what it is and say, I have sinned. I have offended God. Now I need a Savior. And that's good news, church. And Paul, in this moment, he says that Jesus Christ is our advocate. That word advocate literally is a word picture. It's somebody advocating you in court. They're advocating for you. That when you stand before the court of law, he's saying, listen, all of his sins, Jeremy's sins, is paid for, past, present, and future, because of my blood. That's what Jesus Christ is doing for you. And he says he's the atoning sacrifice for all people. It reminded me some years ago, um, I, before I came to Christ, I had a few run-ins with the law. Don't judge me. It wasn't last month, okay? Pre-Jesus, um, what I like to do, I used to like to party really heavy, okay? Um, and I had some charges on my record for underage drinking. I know no one in here has ever drank alcohol before the age of 21, but try to relate to me, okay? That was a joke. Um, moving on. And I was in the courtroom for an underage drinking charge. And uh, some of you are judging me right now. You need to stop, okay? It's under the blood of Jesus, all right? But I was in the courtroom, standing before the judge, and the judge looked at me, and he was like, it was, it was one of the oddest moments. Like I said, true story, I had several of these. So I'd been in court before, so I'll leave it at that. So, but this time was odd, because he looked at me, and he was like, he was like, you shouldn't be here. And I had a few charges before that, so he was like, Mr. Burroughs, you have a history of this. And he goes on to give me like a little sermonette. He was, like, he was like, your past will not determine your future. I'm like, you about to preach up in here? Okay, okay. I'm about to shout you down. He goes on to say, he's like, your past will not determine your future. He's like, this is not who you are. And he dismissed all my charges. Then I gave a little praise dance. Down the, you know, so I was like, all right. But I thought to myself, that was a glimpse of what Christ does for us. Because the enemy wants to bring up your long resume of every sin that you've committed, every thought that you did, everything you've done in private that you hope no one ever knows about and God knows about it. And the enemy wants to hold it over in shame over your head. And Jesus Christ is in the courtroom of life saying, no, no, no. I paid for that with my blood. He's forgiven. All charges dismissed. That's what that means. That's good news. For some of you, that's really good news. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. I'm with you. You got to receive his forgiveness. Let me give you simply kind of a, a few kind of just steps. I think if you're thinking, man, how do I receive this forgiveness? I, I think if you've never come to a relationship with Christ, today's the day. Receive the free gift of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer with you at the end of service. But I think on a regular, everyday level, if you're a follower of Christ, Number one, you have to recognize your sin. You have to acknowledge it. I have sin in my life. I have, I have disobeyed the word of God. Number two, you have to receive his forgiveness. Confess your sin to him. Receive it. Then remember who you are in Christ. You are not your sin. Paul says, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Like you are no longer defined by what you've done. In fact, the apostle Paul said this in 1 Timothy uh, 
chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I love the Apostle Paul, because here's this man who planted churches all over the world, an apostle, wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. And he has, he pens in Scripture that I am the chief of sinners. Do you know what I think perhaps maybe one of the keys to Paul's anointing upon his life, to the power of God on his life, is Paul recognized his need for a Savior in his life. That here is a man who has accomplished more for the kingdom of God, arguably, we have good proof, it's called the Bible, more than many of us, if not all of us in this room. And, and here he is saying, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the worst that there is. He was aware of how much. He would remind himself of the grace of God and the mercy of God in his life. In Hebrews 8, 12, God says this, I will forgive their wickedness, referring to us, our sin, and I will remember their sins no more. I love that. I will forgive your sins. This is the beautiful thing. God not only has forgiven your sins, he forgets it, the Bible says. How incredible is that? He forgets. And let me say this. I've had conversations with people before who've come to faith in Christ, have confessed their sin, but they'll hold the shame or the regret or the weight of their past sin over their heads. And let me say this. Pastorally, I want you to hear this. Do not remind yourself of sin that God has already forgiven and forgotten. Do not remind yourself of something God remembers no more. There's a psalm that actually says he casts our sin in the sea of forgetfulness. He forgets about it. Do you know who's reminding you of sin? Someone the scripture calls the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself. He wants to remind you that habitual sin, that previous addiction, that thing you did to your spouse, that thing you did at work, that he wants to remind you of it to hold you back. But God remembers it no more. I love what A.W. Tozer says, is you have been forgiven, so act like it. Walk with freedom. Walk knowing God remembers your sin no more. You know, I, uh, I recently received a letter from the Montgomery County Police Department you ever received one of these fun letters where they said, we have caught you on video exceeding the speed limit. Anybody received one of those blessings before? Thank you, Montgomery County Police. We, uh, we appreciate you. Not really, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, and I may or may not have received several of those in the past three months. Don't judge me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, and then you see, and you're like, that wasn't me. And then it's like, you see not only your license plate, but you see your face. You're like, ah, the devil is a liar. <laughs> the other day, I found this old mail. It was like an old ticket. And um, I, I, was, I was worried because it was like past due. I was like, oh, man. So I went to go log in online to pay it. And it wouldn't let me pay it. I tried to pay it several times. So eventually, I, I like looked into it. Well, I realized the reason they wouldn't let me pay it. At first, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to come arrest me. I need to lay low. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so bad. I don't want to me pay anymore. Like, we come, there's a warrant for your arrest, Mr. Burroughs. I'm like, okay, I need to find a place to lay low for a minute, you know? <laughs> and uh, 
I found out I'd already paid it. I couldn't pay a ticket that I already paid for. Here's why you do not remember your sin anymore or hold the weight of your sin over your head or feel shame about what you've done because you are trying to pay a debt that's already been paid for. And you cannot pay it. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Can I tell you this? Jesus did not come to put shame on you. He came to take shame off of you. There's conviction of the Holy Spirit, but then there's shame, and shame comes from the pit of hell, and God has forgiven you. I know I spent some time on this, this first point, but I want us to understand that if we don't understand what we've been forgiven of, then we'll never have the power to forgive others. This is the source of why we forgive others, which brings to point number two, as we respond to offense with forgiveness. See, the master was expecting the servant to forgive them of 100 silver coins because the master was like, I've forgiven you of 10,000 bags of gold. Jesus said this in Luke 6, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. See, it was understood then that if you were a follower of Christ, you would be the most quick to forgive. Why? Because you have been forgiven of so much. C.S. Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Just recently, I had a moment with my two kids, two of my, my oldest. Um, they were, uh, Hannah came in to, uh, I was in the living room, they were in the family, family room. I said, Dad, can I, have a, can I have an ice cream bar? She had eaten dinner, so I was like, absolutely. So then she comes into the family room, and Judah, my second oldest, my little boy, he says, Hannah, can I have one? And she said, Judah, now you've had too much sugar all week. You cannot have an ice cream bar. And I was like, Hannah. I was like, come here. I said, girl, I told you you could have an ice cream bar. Go get your brother, please, an ice cream bar. I thought to myself, I gave you one, but you are unwilling to give somebody else. Can I tell you, that's how God views forgiveness. When you've been forgiven of so much offense, you are a repeat offender of God. He's forgiven all of it. And he said, you, can't, you cannot forgive your coworker about that. You can't forgive your spouse about that. I've forgiven you so much. And he's not condemning us. He's just calling us to better. He wants us to grasp hold of we've been forgiven us so much. I, I think there's oftentimes in our life, we can have, there's, there's hindrances that can sometimes get in the way of us forgiving others. I want to share a few of them. Is number one, I think we can forget we've been forgiven of. And that can get in the way. If we're, if we're not aware of what we've been forgiven of, we have a hard time forgiving others. Number two is we forget, we, we have confusion about forgiveness. Sometimes, I, I know I, I struggled with this in the past, is forgiveness is not forgetfulness. Have you ever wondered, like, have I really forgiven that person? Because I, I still remember what they did. It's like in the front of my mind. But just because you forgive doesn't mean you forget. Let me also say this. Just because you forgive doesn't mean there'll be reconciliation. Sometimes, especially if that person was abusive or they did something really bad, if they haven't gotten full healing and repented of what they've done, it's probably not healthy for you to reconcile that relationship right now. Secondly, if you want to reconcile, reconciliation is a two-way street. Forgiveness is one way. Reconciliation is two-way. There are relationships I have in my life that I have forgiven people, but there's not been a, a reconciliation. And sometimes we can, we, can, we can confuse it and think, man, have I really forgiven that person? Because it's, it's not reconciled. Let me also say this. Forgiveness is not letting somebody off the hook. Like, I'm not saying people shouldn't pay consequences for what they did. 
If they committed a crime, they should face appropriate consequence. But what I am saying is forgiveness is not about that. It's about your heart. It's about you personally in your heart releasing them. Here's another that can be a hindrance is, is us not releasing our anger. Actually, I had someone after first service even tell me, like, that's an issue they've struggled with is anger. They have this anger that they've towards someone. And I've been there before. The Bible says this, don't go to sleep while you're angry because you'll get the devil a foothold in your life. And, and, the, and the enemy will wreak havoc in your life through anger. Sometimes you need to cast that, cast that over to God, cast your cares to the Lord. Sometimes, a lot of times, you need to talk to a good friend about it. Can I say this? Especially if it's been a significant offense, you may need to talk to a therapist about it. Because you need, you need to get free of that anger so that it doesn't create more sin, more havoc in your life. Paul said in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If, if any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That word to bear with each other, it literally means to make allowance for another's faults. To make allowance. It means to, to build, increase your capacity for offense. <laughs> You know, there was a study done in 2019, a poll conducted that 82% of Americans said they believed that the average American was too easily offended. Anybody agree that we have a culture, there's a lot of easily offended individuals. This is no condemnation, it's an observation. Have you ever seen someone get offended over a social media comment? Or they didn't like the post, or they didn't come to my party. Or they looked a certain way. Please, there's no condemnation. I'm just saying the Bible is saying, listen, making allowance for a fault means become a person. Spiritual maturity is you become a person that's hard to offend. It's hard to offend you because you're making allowance for some people's faults. It's not saying let people get away with whatever they want to do. It's saying you in your heart. Because here's why. Jesus said offenses will come, but being offended is a choice. Offenses will come, and the enemy, there's an author, John Bevere, he actually calls offense the bait of Satan, because he will use offense. Here's what, here's what offend, offended, I have been offended before, so I'm speaking from my own experience. Here's what happens when you're offended. Even if you don't realize it, it hardens your heart. You erect a wall over your heart so you won't let people fully in because you've been hurt. You won't fully trust someone in a relationship because you've been hurt. So the very thing that you are afraid of, you actually experience because of the unforgiveness in your heart. Do you see how the devil destroys? That's what he wants you to do, church. He wants you to be like, I can't trust anyone fully because he wants that offense to keep you all by yourself personally. That's why it's important that we build our capacity for offense. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory. It means to your honor to overlook an offense. 1 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you want to know a symptom that might be a sign that's telling you you may be keeping a record of wrong? is that maybe in your heart that you believe you are actually better than somebody else because of something wrong they did. Or you believe that somehow you are more righteous. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He said, my righteousness is like filthy rags. My righteousness 
Your righteousness in comparison to God's righteousness is like filthy rags. We, can't, we, we cannot be self-righteous. We'll lose that battle. We, our, our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. It's that we would, we would have this humility to overlook offense. I remember back when I was in high school playing basketball, my junior year, our coach, he had us do this drill where we would go in the paint for a layup. He had these two foam pads with this plastic covering. And he would whack our arms when we go up for a layup. And what he was doing, he, he, was, he was wanting to, to condition us to be fouled. When we went up for a layup, I want you to learn how to be fouled and still make the layup. He was building our resilience. We went to the state finals that year. And I think one of the things, these little drills he would do, and that was one of them, that what he was doing, he, say, he would tell us this, listen, you are going to be fouled in the game. He said, here's two things I want to happen. I want you to make the layup and hit the free throw. And I want you to not lose your cool when someone hacks you and get thrown out of the game. Can I tell you in the same way, church? Offenses will come. People will foul you at work. Your spouse will foul you at home. This might surprise some of you, but your fellow church member will foul you. Let me take it a step further. Hear the heart. A church leader or pastor may offend you. Offenses will come. Increase your capacity to be offended. That's spiritual maturity. To not be in the same way my, our coach conditioned us to take a foul. Condition your heart, the Lord says, to be able to take an offense. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to each other. Forgiving each other just as Christ God has forgiven you. The word kind means to be gentle. The word compassionate means to be sympathetic. Now, the Apostle Paul knows something about offense. The very people he used to run with when he became a Christian tried to kill him. That hasn't happened to me, thankfully. Um, but he had room to be offended, right? He had a reason. Like, if, if you're going to be mad at somebody, you got good reason, Paul. And he says, be gentle with those people. And then catch this. He says to sympathize with your offender. You know what offense will do? Send this to me. It will harden your heart towards that person. And it will eventually actually cause you to dehumanize them. Have you ever seen offended parties in an argument and they'll say the most horrible things? Or you see one on social media, you know, and they'll like type the most terrible things about someone. They'll say the worst things. Why? Because it hardens your heart to a place where you no longer see them, even as a, as a you, you, you rip off their dignity. And he says to sympathize. Here's why. Offense will harden your heart. Sympathy will soften your heart. Remember some years ago, there was a person in my life who I had to walk through forgiveness of. And uh, I was having conversation with Christina one evening. And as I was talking about this person, she kind of, there was a pause in the conversation and she began to sort of peel back some layers. And she began to show me like how this person who had hurt me, because I was offended, how they actually, as she was seeing it, had probably been hurt themselves. I know you've heard the cliche. I don't want to say cliches, but there's, there's truth in it. It's overly simplified, but it's, there's truth in it. Hurt people hurt people. You know, sometimes we hurt out of our own hurt. And she kind of revealed to me, I think, he's, I think this person's hurt. That's why they've hurt you. And at first I was like, 
want to hear that. <laughs> Just agree with me, all right? But I knew she was right. Now, it didn't happen in the moment. And let me say this. The process of forgiveness is not like I have found personally. And I, I don't think we see this scripturally. The decision to forgive is immediate. But the process of forgiveness is usually a process. Because sometimes you like, you think you've forgiven them, but then like some stuff comes up. You're like, okay, I gotta forgive them of that. And, like some stuff comes up. It's a process you're walking through. And I, I, I've walked through a process where I've, I've been in a place where I know I've fully forgiven someone. I have someone in my life who really hurt me. I've fully forgiven them. I, now there's no like, you know, <laughs> here's also a sign there might be a room to forgive. If the thought of that person crosses your mind and a curse word comes out your mouth, okay, you might have some issues. <laughs> if you see them and anger rises in your chest, you're like, okay, I might need to go be with the Lord right now. I'm just <laughs> I need to forgive this person. Um, but as she began to, to, to say these things, my, my sympathy for this person increased, and I have been, it softened my heart to forgive them. And it's important that we walk through that and we are sympathetic towards those, that we can forgive those. Let me give you a brief, real practical. I like to be practical. Three simple steps. Um, I, I think of forgiving someone in your life. And again, this is a decision, but it's often a process. I think number one is you have to recognize that no one is perfect. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, no one, um, no one on earth is righteous. No one, on earth, no one who does what is right and never sins. There's no one, it says, <laughs> that everyone is imperfect. If they have breath in their lungs, they're an imperfect person. And making allowance for a fault is actually expecting, this will help somebody, expect the people in your life to hurt you. I'm not saying like want it, but just expect at some point, even though right now you are so in love with your fiance, they're gonna do something one day that won't meet your expectation and it'll hurt. That, that, that person in your life, they might say a hurtful word, they might do something that can create hurt. Just expect it. Number two is relinquish your right to get even. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Paul writes in Romans 12, 19. It means that you give up your right to get even. You also release the expectation that this person will right the wrong. You release it. You release the expectation that they themselves will reconcile in your life. And then lastly, as you release them to God, leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 19. You gotta release them to God and let God handle it. A lot of times, I know we can have a hard time trusting God with a situation with offense because we may lose sight of the fact of who God is, that he is a God of justice and righteousness. Recently, my children were, uh, my two oldest were playing in uh, the room where I was next to me, and I heard them, they were picking on each other, kind of typical sibling rivalry, and they were going back and forth. Eventually, my daughter, Hannah, came to me and said, Dad, Judah did, you know, she said what he did. And I said, Hannah, but I also heard you do this. So I said, Hannah, here's what you do. The next time Judah picks on you, call me. I said, okay. Sure enough, two minutes passed. Dad, dad, coming. I walk in, said, Judah, if you do that again to your sister, there will be a consequence. And which would, with Judah, is like no Nintendo time ever. And it's like the worst thing in the world for him. Um, 
And can I tell you in that moment what happened? My daughter called upon me, who had the rightful authority to set the situation right once again. So when you are offended and you say, Dad, God, I need you. I'm hurt. I need you to heal my heart, God. God, you're the only one that can set the situation right. I need you. And can I tell you, in the same way I proudly walked into that room as her earthly father, the same way your heavenly father will proudly step into your situation. But you have to release it and say, Dad, Dad, I'm, I, I need you. I'm overwhelmed. Watch God do what only he can do. Nelson Mandela when he was released from prison, being unjustly imprisoned, he said this, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. Do you know they actually found, I mentioned earlier the, the negative effects of forgiveness. You know, John Hopkins University did, a, did a, a massive study on forgiveness. They found the act of forgiveness lowers your risk of heart attack, improves your cholesterol levels in sleep, reduces pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, and stress. Unforgiveness brings destruction upon your body and your mind. Forgiveness is healing to the body and the soul. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus was so firm that we need to walk out this message of forgiveness. Here's the final point. As we respond to offensive forgiveness, then we repay evil with good. Luke 6, another moment in the Gospels, Jesus says this, but you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, mind you, again, we can often read these scriptures and kind of, bray, you know, kind of breeze by them and not think much of them because we know the character and the nature of Jesus. But if you were in that culture at that time, this would have been profound because it was taught in the Old Testament to love your neighbor, not love your enemies. It was taught in that culture, do good to those who do good to you because then they'll do more good to you, not do good to those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. It was common in that culture for Jewish individuals to curse Romans because Romans were oppressing them. Understandably, the natural self would curse someone who's harming you. And he said, listen, he may have actually said these very words in the presence of a Roman guard. Bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. People would have been like mind blown. Like, what are you teaching, Jesus? Paul repeats him in Romans 12, 14 to the church at Rome. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know, again, I found that a good sign that you may need to pray for someone is you don't feel like praying for someone. When the thought of them makes you want to curse, it's probably a good, a good sign you should bless them. You know, even just this week, I'll share transparently, as your pastor, I was praying and processing this message, and God brought someone to my mind. I had forgiven them, and uh, I felt the Lord brought them to my mind to bless them. I felt like put it on my heart, take some time and pray for them. I said, Jesus, I don't want to pray for them. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't feel like it. Sometimes you got to grit your teeth and bless them. 
you got to grit your teeth and bless that person who hurts you. And I spent some time and I blessed this person. I blessed their marriage. I blessed their finances. I blessed the work of their hands. I blessed their children. I was just, I was blessing them. I was praying the kind of prayer I would love to be prayed for myself. And you know what I found, church, when I do this? There's a number of times God's brought people to my mind. Jeremy, I want you to pray for them. I didn't feel like it. Here's what I found. In my case, it has rarely changed the relationship, but it has always changed my heart. And God showed me, it's not about them, Jeremy. I'm wanting to do a work in you. Paul says, uh, speaking about not just blessing, but also doing good. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, Romans 12, 17. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That when we do these things, it overcomes the very evil that can creep up in our own hearts. The very sin that can take root in our own hearts when we do these things. Jesus said in Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them, expect nothing in return, then your reward will be great. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. I think uh, another step we see, both the words of Jesus, but also the words of Paul, is not just to bless them, not just to pray for them, but also to do good to them. Remember some years ago, again, someone who I had forgiven, and I felt one, one morning I was praying, and, and this person came to my mind, and I felt prompted to actually, and I, I knew it was God because it wasn't Jeremy in the natural. I knew this person's favorite baseball team was coming into town, and I had felt impressed to buy them tickets. And not just any tickets, like the good seats. The kind of seats I don't buy for myself. Like, get them good, the good seats. And here's what I thought, honest. I thought, oh, I, I see what you're doing, God. I'm going to buy them these tickets. They're going to be overwhelmed. They're going to repent. Then we're going to reconcile. And we'll hold hands and dance into the, into the, you know. I got them the tickets. And I got the most underwhelming response. I thought I might get, like, at least a picture of the game. Thank you so much for being here. Post on social media. Greatest person in the world gave me these seats. Nothing. Like, underwhelming. So I had a conversation with God about it. I'm like, God, what, what happened? I, I did what you told me to do. Why, why are things not better? And the Lord told me, Jeremy, I had you do good to them, not for you, but to overcome the evil in your heart. And he had me do good in that moment because there was some, there was some bitterness taking root in my life. You know, Hebrews says that if bitterness takes root, it's actually destructive not just to you, but to everyone around you. Have you ever been around a bitter person and it negatively impact you? Have you ever spent moments with a bitter person and you left and you were just like mad at the world? You know why? You're like, I'm just mad now. What are you mad at? I don't know. I'm just angry. There's a spiritual dynamic at play. So how do we overcome the bitter root, how do we pull up the bitter root? How do we rip up any anger, any, any offense? 
You pray for them. You do good to them. People will say, you are crazy. What are you doing? And you are saying, I am overcoming the evil that is trying to take root in my heart because my soul's worth it. So I want to challenge us this week to take the steps we need to take. Lisa Turkhurst, who wrote a great book on forgiveness, she walked through an incredible breach of trust in her marriage. She said, I always thought forgiveness was an unfair gift that we have to give to the person who hurt us. What I discovered is forgiveness is more about God giving the gift of healing to our hearts. You know, I I have... uh, we walk through these steps, as we spoke about receiving the forgiveness of God, that forgiveness that comes from God through Christ saves us. When we learn to extend forgiveness to others, it frees us from the prison of unforgiveness. But here's the final step, though. When you learn to bless those who curse you and do good to those who've hurt you, it actually heals you. And God doesn't just want to free you. Yes, he wants to save you. Yes, he wants to free you. But he also wants to heal your heart. So I want to challenge you this week to do some soul searching with the Lord. God, is there anybody in my life that I need to forgive? Is there anyone? Let me say this too. I think sometimes in forgiveness messages, we can think of like really bad things like breaches of trust, abuse. I mean, just the worst. Sometimes... You can have offense for someone not being there for you when you thought they should have. And even if it seems minor, it's still offense and it's still real. Let me also say this. Sometimes we can justify our offender's offense based on their life circumstances. Well, my mom did the best she could. You, you cannot fully forgive someone unless you fully blame someone. Because then you're just brushing under the rug. And you wonder why it's still hanging over your head because you justified what your dad did. You justified what your mother... It's not saying they didn't have a hard life. It's just saying you need to appropriately place the blame so you can then fully forgive them in your heart and walk free. So here's how I want to close the service. A little bit different today. I want you to bow your heads. And here's what I want to ask. We're actually going to walk this practice out right now. If there is someone, maybe you already know this person in your mind. Maybe, uh, maybe just even ask God, God, is there anybody in my life that I need to forgive? Maybe a parent, a boss, a coworker, your spouse, an ex-spouse, a friend. Is there anyone? If you have that person, if you don't, that's okay. But if you have that person, I want you just under your breath with the Lord. We're going to walk through forgiveness right now. And again, this is the decision of forgiveness. There may be this process to follow so you can walk in full freedom and healing. This can begin that process. Say, I choose to forgive. Say their name. Four, and name the offense choose to forgive, whether it's I choose to forgive my father for walking out on me. I choose to forgive my spouse for what they did to me. I choose to forgive. I choose to release them. I let go of all judgments against them. 
I let go of all punishments for them. I have harbored in my heart. And I turn them over to you. I release them to you, God. Now come heal my heart, Father. Help me to be whole. Help me to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. In Jesus' name.